Hey, friends. This is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 94. Everybody will expect you to be an activist. Everybody wants you to be the gay that's on the front lines. And honestly, everybody's not meant for that. Kaylin Allen first caught Ellen DeGeneres' eye with his hilarious Kaylin Reacts videos, where he gives colorful and witty commentary on culinary concoctions online. After inviting Kaylin to her show in 2018, Ellen knew she had found something special and offered him an opportunity to collaborate and produce content for her digital platforms. Today, Kaylin holds a regular guest spot on Ellen and his very own weekly digital news series, OM Kaylin, where he gives his one-of-a-kind commentary on hot topics and trending stories of the week. In addition, Kaylin has found incredible success expanding his Kaylin Reacts food series to cover events such as New York Fashion Week, the Met Gala, and the Royal Wedding. Kaylin also brought his trademark wide-brimmed red hat and infectious personality to the 2018 Billboard Music Awards red carpet as Ellen's correspondent, interviewing some of the biggest stars, including Jennifer Lopez, Kelly Clarkson, and everyone's favorite, Sean Mendez. <laughs> Although Kalen continues to entertain in the digital space, he will soon make his acting debut with a lead role in Seth Rogen's untitled pickle comedy for Sony Pictures. The comedy follows an immigrant worker at a pickle factory that is accidentally preserved for 100 years and wakes up in modern-day Brooklyn. Originally from Kansas City, Kansas, Kalen's videos boast over 487 million views across all Ellen platforms, and I am so excited to have him launching Queerology Season 4! <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. It's been a little while, and I am coming to you from the brand new Queerology Studio, which is basically my closet with upgraded equipment. I haven't moved. I've just upgraded. <laughs> Before we dive in, I wanted to give a few shout-outs. Uh, first, a huge shout-out to everyone who donated to the GoFundMe campaign, which made the upgraded equipment possible. I, I am so, 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 so grateful. All of this new equipment will help launch us, meaning you as listeners and me, into the future of Queerology. Uh, so thank you for that. Number two... Thank you to everyone who continued donating on Patreon during my hiatus. Uh, your support allowed me to launch my book without having to worry about creating new episodes of the show. And it gave me time to kind of regroup and rework Queerology. I mean, you've already been noticing some of the changes. Kind of the biggest change is that we we're moving to an every other week format, which will prevent burnout for me in the future and allow you to have more time to catch up on episodes. Uh, that was actually one of the biggest things that people said to me over the last four years was a weekly episode. I don't feel like I can keep up. So this gives you a little bit more space in there. And finally, a really big shout out to Jamie Abenroth. Jamie Abenroth is a therapist here in Seattle who specializes in intimacy and sexuality. She's an ASEX certified sex therapist, uh, and she is one of the major contributors to Queerology. Huge thank you to her for making this work possible. I don't have any announcements because all of my events that were coming up over the next few months have been canceled. I am thinking through ways that we might be able to come together as a community, as a queerology community during this time to support each other, uh, but don't have anything concrete yet, but but I'll keep you posted on that. So 
let's just go ahead and dive in. Kaylin, hi, welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I am absolutely wonderful. I'm so excited to have you on Queerology today. I'll start with a question I ask everyone. How do you identify and how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity? I identify as gay and I think... Honestly, my faith has probably made my identity a lot stronger, if that makes sense. And I would say, because growing up Baptist, you know, it's kind of like you're told that if you are gay, then, you know, like God hates you or something. But I think for me is I looked at my life and looked at all the blessings that I had been given and all the opportunities. And I think because of that, I took that as proof that God didn't hate me. You know, and I took it as if he really did not like me or whatever, then I wouldn't imagine that all these wonderful things would happen in my life. Yeah. So, I mean, you grew up in Kansas City, right? Correct. I'm from yeah, Kansas so City, Kansas. Midwest. I grew up in Iowa. Um, and, and that, I mean, I'm curious kind of about what that journey was like. Like when, when did you realize you were gay? Was that hard at first or, or did that kind of that idea of like, well, I do have all these blessings, like... What has that process been like for you? I think I've just always known. It was just, it was never like a day I woke up and realized, you know, it was just kind of always in my bones, I would say. But I think growing up in Kansas, I don't think I realized the homophobia of the Midwest until I had left, if that makes sense. I think it's because I was so conditioned. Like, I, I will say that I felt as though once I moved out of Kansas City, I felt like I was more of a conservative gay, if that makes sense. So it was just like, I kind of was like, you know, the type of person where I never let it define me, but it was an, it was an interesting space. It definitely was, you know? And then I think once I would return home after leaving and like, I would just wear like the clothes that I would wear like on the East Coast that's maybe more flamboyant or something, like the looks I would get, you know, that I didn't necessarily realize at first because back in the day I was just wearing t-shirts or blazers, you know? Yeah, like that that major difference of of what it's like to live more on the coast than back in the Midwest. Like I, I know I experience that whenever I go back home. It's 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 kind of a, a harsh reminder, in a way. So as as you've kind of stepped into this work of of being way more visible, I'm curious what it's been like to kind of then revisit those parts of yourself that are still a Midwest person, right? Like, I don't think we can fully get rid of those things. I mean, how has that been to kind of work with those different parts of yourselves? I think I have an advantage with working with Ellen, you know? It's like, my workplace is probably the gayest place on earth, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, I have no problems fitting in there. I will say, however, now if I go, because, you know, I do a lot of traveling and I go to a lot of different events in a different lot of places, I think I get nervous with that. You know, like I don't like traveling by myself if I'm going to some rural city or something like that or even going home, you know, because it's like I feel like when I go home, I have to assimilate, you know, and kind of tone down who I am to still, you know, try to fit in no matter, you know, how much fame or publicity I have, you know, or who knows my name or knows who I am. It still feels like I have to tone it down a little bit. Um, And so I think I've become more cautious of when I'm traveling to make sure that I don't stick out too much because it's very easy for someone to see me and to call me out. But if somebody doesn't know me, it's very easy for them to judge me, you know? 
Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a, that's a lived reality of so many queer folks. And even as we start working with then levels of marginalization, right? That sense of if I go out and express who I truly am, I may be in danger. How do you work with that? You know, I love that you asked that question because I think so like I am the person I don't like going out. Like I won't go out to a, a club or a bar. That's just not fun to me. And I think that may have a lot to do with the fact that I was from Kansas City. And also it was just like because I was from Kansas City, there weren't many resources for LGBTQ plus, you know, people. And like there was like one gay club, right? <laughs> right. But by the time <laughs> I, I, I think left, I've been to that one. <laughs> like Missy B's, I think, is the name. You yep, know, I've been there. Yes. Yep. But it was like <laughs> once I left Kansas City before I was legally able to go to those places, you know? So it's like when I got to college, because going out also I didn't go to any parties as a kid because I didn't like, you know, like high school parties and stuff like that, because I didn't feel like I was welcome into those spaces, you know, because they were very heteronormative. So I didn't have any desire to go out and hang with people that didn't really, you know, accept me. And so once I got to college, I never really got the bug to be like, oh, my gosh, yes, I want to go out and party because I still felt a bit that I still wasn't welcome in these spaces. You know, it was like you go to these parties as football players is, you know, just a whole bunch of straight kids, you know. And so it was just like that wasn't fun to me, you know. So I prefer to stay at home. So I think that's definitely it coming from Kansas City has really shaped even how I am a person within queer culture. Which can be so hard because I, I mean, I know I'm an introvert majorly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I go out very rarely. It's like once or twice a year. And it's in, like those spaces are not spaces I'm comfortable with. And yet there's kind of this overarching message or like the kind of maybe ideal or, or what's portrayed is that if you're going to be gay, this is where you have to live your life. Right. And so for, for those of us who don't quite fit in to that, model it can be really hard to feel like we have a community how are you finding community in kind of in that little bit of a different space and what's the quote-unquote norm for gay people (laughs) i think for me is that well one i'm an only child so i don't necessarily require a lot of people around me or a large friend group so i think i i in general keep my friend circle very small but i will say that the majority of my friends are gay and way that i do it is that i will often host like sleepovers or dinners at my house because i like the communal aspect of it i like to sit around with other people that have shared experiences and talk about those experiences you know and talk about the things that we go through or experience even with being in la which is you know very gay you know so it's like but i think there is a lot of intersectionality within gay culture in la because you know you have like the we ho gays you know and then you got like everybody outside of that so i think there's even with that there are different sectors that we experience especially in major metropolitan cities even with internalized homophobia with people within the community and so i like to talk about those those things and figure out where do we fit into the spectrum and stuff like that absolutely i mean (laughs) internalized homophobia we've touched on that in in the show before but haven't dived into it a ton but that's a real thing, yes, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I mean, <laughs> I, I know, like, even within myself, I had to work with it, right? Like, 
I went to school in the South and was like, would stay away from from people who were obviously gay, right? Because of my own internalized homophobia. I'm wondering if if you had similar experiences kind of with yourself or, or whether that was different for you. I mean, because you said, like, this has kind of been in my bones. Yeah. So I'm curious about that. Like, what has that process been like for you? Oh, I think most definitely. I think from being from Kansas, you know, it's like things like crop tops or piercings, you know, even like the smallest things growing up used to be weird to me, you know? Like, because I used to feel like, oh, well, you know, they always said, well, if you wore earrings, like you were gay. Like, that was a thing, you know? And so it was like that kind of stuff used to throw me off like I know even to this day like I don't like wearing jewelry and I think maybe that's because of the internalized homophobia of like I was taught that jewelry was associated with being feminine you know however I think I am very aware of my internalized homophobia and so I think I still strive and fight to for the liberation of more feminine queer men you know like i'm totally against people that are like mask for mask you know like i'm like that doesn't make sense you know and stuff like that i feel like that can be hard to do at times right i mean because mm-hmm. we we put such a prize on at least my perception is we put such a prize on those masculine qualities especially for gay men and so when we start leaning into those more feminine sides of ourselves i mean it can be a, a terrifying thing just personally, but B, I mean, it opens up, if we talk about like potential for harm. <laughs> right, exactly. It opens that up even further. Right. Um, how have you been embracing that? Well, I think there's a misconception about masculinity. I think for the majority of the queer population, people think masculinity is equivalent to muscles. And it actually has nothing to do with how that person acts or appears, but it has to do with, for some reason, if somebody is swollen, has muscles, then that makes them attractive, you know? But the way that I look at it, especially now, it's like, well, you can have somebody that has great muscles, but is a trash person, you know, and has a terrible personality who is toxic that will make you feel really bad and for me it's like i'm not willing to date somebody just because they look good if they don't make me feel good and so i think i've done a a good job of trying to decipher what that is for me and i think for me like also like because now like i work out you know which for me it's more of a health kind of thing but i specifically say it to my trainer it's like i'm not doing this for the purpose of looking good or trying to get a man I'm doing this for health purposes and for business purposes because it's like in Hollywood, you got to look more masculine, you know, then there goes that whole masculine of like having muscles, you know. And so I said, that's my focus. But I said, like, even recently with this whole coronavirus thing, I said, it is surprising to me that everything is getting shut down except the gym. You know, that's the one thing that's still up and running. And if anything, that's the place where you should be more scared. Right. <laughs> you know, like if you can get the disease anywhere, it's the gym. It is the gym. Yeah. You know, so I think I, I try to do a, a good job of navigating that space. But also, I think when I look at, you know, when I attend a red carpet or if I do any type of public event, I tend to dress more feminine. And I think because I think it is necessary for representation and visibility purposes, because growing up, my feminine qualities, I did not see depicted 
in the media. And I believe like it's great to have people like RuPaul and Billy Porter, but also they are older, you know, people within the community. And I think it's important to have younger people as well so that younger kids have somebody that they can relate to. Absolutely. I mean, because you're I mean, in some ways you're one of the people who are kind of blazing that trail, right? Being out gay black man young like there aren't that many <laughs> who are in kind of the the big mainstream media right which we can critique mainstream media for that absolutely and that doesn't diminish how big of a step i mean your presence visibility is in this world especially i i so often think of the kids in iowa the kids in kansas the kids in arkansas like it's a really big deal yeah Definitely. That's why I uh, participate in Love Loud, which takes place in Utah, because I think it's important. I think, you know, the thing that I've always said is that we have all these organizations that primarily help people in like Los Angeles or New York or Atlanta in these major cities that have endless resources. But the kids that live in these rural areas in these areas that are, you know, less populated, they get left behind. And if they never leave, they never find a different escape. You know, Utah has sought one of the highest suicide rates because they don't have the network in the community. It's heartbreaking and it reveals the need for those of us who have the ability, capacity, energy to, to pour into that work to reach back out to those places from where we've come. So I was kind of looking at the timeline of your... I mean, in some ways, overnight rise to <laughs> to fame or whatever you want to call it. But also the way that, like, I mean, the biggest thing that jumped out to me was uh, you first appeared on Ellen in, like, early 2018 or whatever. But then it was a while before you came out on Instagram. I would love to hear, like, I mean, that's such a unique experience of, in some ways, having to come out in a way more public, <laughs> way more high stakes kind of scenario than many people have to deal with, right? It's, it's such a personal thing to then have to announce to the world. What was that like for you? So for me, it was very important. And this is the reason why I came out. I was on a flight to talk to, I was on my way to Utah actually, to talk at a conference and to tell kids about, you know, living their most authentic lives and to, you know, stand in their truth. And I felt as though, even though it was something that I never really said, but everybody kind of knew, it felt necessary for me to say it publicly because I didn't want anybody assuming or guessing. Also, I felt that my content was very queer and I know there's a lot of people that I feel benefit from queer ideologies and queer, like, you know, performance that don't necessarily identify, but they benefit from it. And I didn't want to be that person that's like, yeah, I'll be queer without saying it, you know? And it's like, because I know also within a lot of, you know, communities, there are a lot of people that will accept you as long as you don't put a label to it, you know? And I didn't want to play that fine line. I felt that it was important that people knew exactly who I was and how I identified so there was no guessing, so that they knew. Even though I believe that it's really not of anyone's business, but I think when it comes to representation of visibility purposes, it is an important factor. Was that hard? I would say the only hard part about it was the fact that I didn't give anyone warning, especially family, you know? 
And I think that was the hardest part about it was just coming out and just letting it be known without telling anybody that I was going to do it or not. I will say it was still the hardest thing that I've ever done, even though like friends knew like I was out, you know, I just wasn't worldwide, you know. What was your family's response? I mean, you say you grew up Baptist. Was there conflict there? Yes. So overall, my family was very accepting. Like everybody just, you know, already knew. I think me and my mother struggled, but mainly because I had done it without saying anything. And so she was blindsided and we struggled for a while with it, you know, and and going back and forth and her not understanding what was going on or why it had happened so abruptly, you know. And I think also with her fear with me living in Hollywood, she wanted to make sure that like no one was trying to, you know, force me to do anything that I didn't want to do or anything like that, you know. And so we struggled with it at first, but then we finally came to a understanding through each other on why we did, why I felt it was necessary. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's such a, I think coming out <laughs> can be such a tricky thing. And, and there's that, the side where it's like, oh, is this really necessary? And then there's also the side of like, but if I'm, like you said, like claiming authenticity, like there's something to be said for that. And it can be such a hard thing to navigate. In doing that and in, in, in going through it the kind of way that you did, I mean, do you feel like you learned anything that was this like helpful tips for other folks who are trying to come out? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. And I say this because... I said that was the hardest thing that I've ever done, which was crazy to me because it was like, it wasn't necessarily a secret. So why was it so hard to say it? And what I learned through the coming out was that it wasn't that I was coming out to everyone else. I was coming out to myself, you know, because I noticed that in my initial content, because now I was such on this big old, you know, platform and had all this visibility, a part of me was still trying to assimilate. Because I wanted everybody to like me, you know? So I felt like I had to be a certain or couldn't talk about certain things and very had to play a safe line, you know? And after coming out, I started to accept and love different parts of me that I was under the assumption that I already loved. And then it was through that that it was revealed to me that, no, this was really my uh, growth time and my time to learn who I really was. And I mean, it is amazing how much I changed through that. I mean, even with, you know, wanting to be in a relationship, no longer, it no longer felt like a necessity, you know, it no longer felt like I was searching for someone to, you know, love me for me. Cause I, I think I always felt like I needed somebody to love me because in order for, in order for me to love myself, I needed somebody to show me that I was worth it. You know? Right, right, right. I mean, it sticks out to me. I wanted everybody to like me. <laughs> That's so honest and so real. Like, I feel like <laughs> uh, so many of us kind of sit in those spaces. I, I think especially as, I mean, I don't know, I'd be curious to hear what you think about this, but I think as queer folk, like at least for those of us who were kind of trying to hide things growing up, right? Or, or trying to assimilate into whatever dominant culture we were a part of, there's a sense of where we would finely tune ourselves at least to the best of our abilities, to get people to like us and not 
critique us, right? Yes. And so it's really hard to then kind of let go of that and start realizing, wait a second, there are parts of myself I don't even like. Mm-hmm. What have you found, like in learning, I mean, you said you changed a whole lot. Has that been a process in learning how to love yourself? And, and you've, like, for folks who are on that journey, what would you say to them? It is definitely like the things that I learned to appreciate more. It's like, I think even though I am very, a very confident person, I think I was always apprehensive about expressing who I was, even though I was still very outspoken. You know, I think I, I had a lot of times where I was second guess who I was or who I should be, you know, or what I should wear or who I should present myself as in certain spaces. You know, I think I would enter a lot of social spaces being more reserved. But I think once I start, I started to love the fact that it was my gayness that actually made me who I am and made me unique, you know, and made me different for the rest. And actually, that's how I got my job at Ellen. You know, it's like if those things weren't a part of who I was, then I wouldn't be here today. So I started to appreciate that and love that. And I understood that my uh, outspokenness and how I could come up with jokes was rooted in the fact that growing up gay, you had to be funny in order to be accepted, you know? So it was it was more of a survival, you know, method. It was like people would accept me because I was funny, because they saw being funny as being entertaining and that was strength. So it was appreciating those things. And, and I tell people all the time, it's like, find the thing that makes you unique and different from the rest and use that as your strength, because that is what will set you aside and make you special. I think we do a lot of trying to be just like the person next to us. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. I mean, you can look at the most popular person in school and be like, oh, I want to be just like them. For what? You know? Right. Because, I mean, and I think even like if, if we talk about your story, like if you had done that, you wouldn't be where you are right now. Exactly. I'm curious, like, what, I mean, we, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning, but like, what has your faith journey been like through this? Like, do you still consider yourself to be a person of faith or has that evolved, changed? Like, what's that been like? I would say that now I think I'm probably more spiritual. I think there's a difference from being spiritual and religious. I really, I haven't been to church since a long time. I think probably not since before I came out. I think church the actual institution itself scares me i think i don't like the way that religion is used to motivate hate and uh, to judge other people but i do believe in a higher being and i do believe that there is someone up there pulling the strings you know and making it all happen and so i think i started to do more stuff as in like meditating or um talking to a higher being you know but i i think necessarily yeah i think it definitely changed after coming out and also just looking at a more you know because now i'm on such a big platform and seeing people talking about jesus or god and you know and i talk about god and jesus a lot in my content itself you know so i think i definitely just gained a, a new perspective and i think that journey i mean that's what this kind of whole show is is <laughs> this is figuring out that kind of like for, for queer folks who grew up religious and then who are trying to make that transition into, okay, what do, what do I do now? Like, this is something that was maybe incredibly important to me and still may be, but it has to look different <laughs> after coming out. 
Yeah. You mentioned like meditation. Um, like what, what are kind of, I mean, do you have spiritual practices not to put you on the spot? (laughs) Um, no, no, you're fine. I think, you know, I am a very musical person. And so I think one of my, like on Sundays, I still listen to gospel music. You know, it's like, it, it provides a, a sense of comfort and a sense of peace that it brings to me. So that's definitely one of them. I think, you know, the meditation is definitely something that really helps me, you know, stay grounded and keep sane. You know, I think outside of uh, religion, I think I also have a therapist, which is, you know, beside. But I think that helps me to be able to work through a lot of things as well. I am a therapist, so I am a full... (laughs) full supporter of therapy like <laughs> love that but I, i'm curious like was that a part of your life growing up uh, therapy or is that something that you kind of found later i mean how did you how did you get into that i found it actually during the coming out i think once i came out i really just hit a dark spot you know and i'm a type of person that also moves around life with energy in mind so i think i felt as though my energy was off And I needed to figure out how to get it back together and to get back in shape. And I think with me moving to Hollywood and having a different experience than a lot of my friends, I felt very alone and felt like there wasn't anywhere I could go to that people would just listen to me without judging me or having to input their own advice. And I was like, I need to go to a third party that has no weight in my in my situation. And so I was like, I should get a therapist. And I love it. I think it's one of my favorite things that I do every week. Yeah, that's so good. I, I love hearing that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned that kind of the pressure and and to, I, I don't know, tell me if you'd agree with this, but like almost perform once you get into a, a kind of high stakes environment of, of being very public. And I, I know a lot of listeners, definitely not at the level that, that you're at with platform right but that sense of i think as queer folk once we start coming out there is a spotlight that can be shined on people right like coming out is kind of this like all of a sudden people are paying attention to us in ways that we've never experienced before what have you learned in this journey of trying to like live out your life now with a spotlight on it i think now i have to be a lot more cognizant of my energy in protecting that Um, I think for me, you know, I talked about how I don't really like going out, but now I have to go and do, you know, so many events or go to all these places for the purpose of publicity or visibility, you know, and for the job. And so I think when I'm not doing those things, I would 100% prefer to be at home. And I think a lot of my friends don't understand that. And I think it's because just like you said, the performing, it is because everybody expects you, especially with my brand being so like, you know, charismatic and so energized and so outgoing that people expect me to be that 24 seven. And that's not human. And that's just not who I am. I think I am probably half introvert, half extrovert, you know, like I'm probably more of a performative extrovert. Like I can be extroverted when I need to be. But any other time, I prefer to be by myself in my own little cocoon, you know. And so I think I've had to find new ways of balancing that and figuring that out. I said the other day, I said, well, actually, the good thing about coronavirus is now I don't have to go nowhere. You know, (laughs) now I can be like, sorry, I can't come, you know, and I feel bad about it. So I think I've had to figure out different ways of balancing how much I give of myself to other people and how much I keep 
for myself. And I think when you come out, every and that's another thing. This is like a gay culture kind of thing is that everybody will expect you to be an activist. Everybody wants you to be the gay that's on the front lines. And honestly, everybody's not meant for that. That's not everybody's, you know, forte. So it's like, do not feel like, I think that's another thing within gay culture is that we do a lot of like, well, if you're gay, you need to do this, that, and the other. You know, this is the type of gay that you have to be. And then people place these stereotypes and these expectations on you. And you really, it really forces you to figure out who you really are at the core of your being. You know, like not every gay has to watch RuPaul's Drag Race or something like that, you know, and you should be able to do that. I think there is no problem with you feeling like you don't have to do what other gay people do. I think it's when you start to oppress other people and criticize and demean other people for being a different type of gay is when we start to get problematic. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that I, I, again, that word pressure, <laughs> it feels like it's coming up again, the pressure to be something that you're not. I mean, in some ways, sometimes we can come out and that pressure of not being gay can all of a sudden turn into being like pressure to be the right kind of gay which is just kind of switching one thing for another. And I'm hearing you say like, no, like <laughs> let's step out of that and, and truly be who we were made to be. Right. So I stumbled across when I was like watching some of your videos and, and prep for this, I had not seen your Beyonce performance on Ellis uh-huh. on Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> that was incredible. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I I mean, what was that like for you? Oh, and you know, I love that you brought that up because I think this has a lot to do with like the internalized homophobia from growing up in Kansas is that when I was in high school, I mean, from elementary, I used to do like Beyonce performances, you know, like I used to, if it was a talent show, I was definitely going to do a Beyonce song, but I had never done it in drag. I had always done it just like as me, you know, just performing. And so I think once I got the opportunity at Ellen, when it was presented to me, I was like, absolutely, let's do it. And I don't know if you saw this, but for Beyonce's birthday, I did a, a video tribute that I also did in drag. That was like seven minutes long, you know, of like the evolution of Beyonce. And there is something which I, I have a big respect for about, you know, drag performance in general. There is something about turning into someone that one you may admire or may you think is an icon that will provide a sense of strength and invincibility and i say that was my favorite moment on the show was being able to put on that wig and that outfit and the you know the butt pads and all of it and to fully submit myself into this alternate universe to where i think even when i watch it now it's like i don't even see myself you know I'm like, oh, is that Beyonce? I know Beyonce's mom posted it the day it came out. She was like, I was almost fooled, you know? <laughs> like, I love that, you know? I think that is an, is a form of escapism, you know? I think that's why a lot of queer students turn to theater as a, 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 a way to escape from the life that they are currently living. Was that your first time kind of doing drag publicly? As a performance, yes. And it was very nerve-wracking because it was my first time, like, actually, like, dancing in heels you know and the fact that i was like like i've walked in heels before but to perform in them that made me nervous with only a day of rehearsal wow and 
but and I think like when I watch it back, I'm like, dang, if I would have been in some flats, I really could have murdered this, you know. <laughs> but um, I think once, because in rehearsal for it, I, you could just tell I was very nervous, because the fact that it was on national television, you know. So I was like in rehearsal, I was like mess up, and the hair kept getting in my face. We had fans. I was like, oh my goodness, and then like the hair was getting stuck to my costume. I was like, this is going to be a mess. And then I remember the moment before the doors opened for the actual show performance, I was just like, Kaylin, let's just do this. Whatever happens, happens. You just got to do it full out, you know. And that's how we got there. But no, it was a very, very scary experience. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so fun though. That's. Uh, I mean, not only to like do Beyonce, which like anyone who watches RuPaul will know that Beyonce is not easy to do. No, not <laughs> like, at all. No one can do it. And listen, but I've then... seen a lot of people try to do Beyonce <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. But then, I mean, then, then to do it so well and get the praise of Beyonce, right? Like, yes, <laughs> I know. Huge. I know. It was definitely uh, a moment. I felt yeah. like, I was like, ooh, the gay boy inside of me is screaming. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love it, and I love to sh- to kind of close the show with with a question about advice that you would have for either your younger self and or folks who are kind of younger who are looking to you as a role model, um, who may be queer and, and trying to figure out what what is my place in this world. What advice do you have? My advice would be that this world and our lives will never be perfect. Nothing will ever necessarily feel right. We will all have our ups and downs. And you really have to make sure that you keep your attitude and your mindset clear and positive. I think through everything that I have ever experienced or went through in my life, I always believed that once it was over, there was going to be a prize that was going to be worth it. You know, that it was all going to pay off in the end. And so when people ask me, do I have any advice for uh, my younger self or if there's anything that I would change? I always say, absolutely not. I said, because everything was necessary for me to become who I am. Do I still have issues? Do I still have trauma? You know, of course, we always will. Everyone will always have these issues. But as long as we work through them and keep our mind on getting better, and uh, waiting for the light at the end of the tunnel, then there's nothing to worry about. If life was peachy perfect, it would be boring. Then we would never grow. We would never learn from anything. I mean, I think you can look at that when it comes to racial divide or class divide. You know, it's like people that come from more poor and urban, you know, communities have a different type of will and determination. I think even if you think of people that live in New York City, there's a different type of drive that they have because they need to get out of this place that is trying to hold them down. You know, it's through adversity that we find real success. Well, Kaylin, thank you so much. Of course. This has been a delight. And um, what's your favorite way for people to discover your work? If they're not familiar. It's so luckily I made sure that it was very easy to find me. And so everything is literally the Kaylin Allen. So literally you just type my name and there it is. <laughs> awesome. That's that's easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, th- thank you. Of course. Anytime. You can find Kaylin all across the Internet at Kaylin Allen. And be sure to check out all of his videos over on Ellen Tube. 
Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is produced with support from you. To find out how you can help keep Queerology on the air, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com support. A really easy way to support Queerology is by leaving a rating and a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com review and do it right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of directions you want this season to go, reach out. Let me know. And until next week, y'all, bye!